Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Laura, and welcome to this episode of Where Work Meets Life. As many of you know, I'm a career psychologist, and I founded Calgary Career Counseling in 2009, followed by Canada Career Counseling. So for over 13 years, we've been helping thousands of Canadians of ages 15 to 65 plus make purposeful career decisions and pivots. Last month's episodes were with my co-founder, Megan Reed, on why people stay in careers when they're unhappy and how to make more purposeful pivots. This month's guest I'm very excited about, Dr. Alan Patterson, will help us further explore meaningful career growth no matter what stage you're at. I was intrigued by Dr. Alan Patterson's newest book, Burn Ladders, Build Bridges, Pursuing Work with Meaning and Purpose, as it aligns perfectly with our values at Canada Career Counseling. The world of work is changing, and people are seeking greater meaning and fulfillment. So who better to bring us knowledge about this than someone who has spent four decades working with leaders, executives, organizations um, across North America, including Hewlett-Packard, the Federal Reserve Bank, Major League Baseball, the United States Navy, etc. So someone who has loads of really good experience and insights to offer. Welcome to the show, Alan Patterson. Thank you so much, Dr. Laura. Pleasure to be here. It is my pleasure. And this episode is called Building Ladders and Burning Bridges in Your Work and Life. So to start, tell us a bit more about yourself, Dr. Alan Patterson. <laughs> I've, uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in the consulting business. I, I began in the uh, early 80s, worked with a group out of Boston, uh, living in, in that area at the time that was doing a lot of research, uh, social science research into uh, behavioral differences. Uh, that company uh, was well known and actually best known uh, both for its founder, David McClellan, who was a specialist in, at Harvard uh, in, the, in a, the area of psychology, and one of his students who was uh, Daniel Goleman, the emotional intelligence guru. Uh, I worked there for a few years, and I joined two guys down in Rhode Island where I had moved doing similar kind of work. Uh, it's where a lot of the work with the United States Navy uh, came on board doing competency-based work. And I worked with my buddies for almost 20 years, and we, we had a good gig. We, we had some big companies like Anheuser-Busch and Hewlett-Packard and Johnson & Johnson, mostly in the area of training and development, some coaching. And then since uh, close to when you formed your group, 2008, which was a terrible year for the economy, we... We've lost our biggest client, did everything you're not supposed to do by putting all your eggs in one basket, I guess, and decided to go our own ways. And I've been on my own since then. And, and as a result, I'm doing more coaching now and uh, than uh, organizational uh, consulting. So still still got my some gas in the tank, as I like to tell people, uh, just working less and enjoying it uh, a lot. Wonderful. So you wrote a book, Burn Ladders, Build Bridges. So tell us uh, what led you to publish this book and who did you write it for? 
I started this book before COVID, and as one of my colleagues said, well, you know, this is pretty fortuitous that you're talking about career development at a time when people are really questioning their careers. I think there was something in the air that I was picking up on. A lot of my clients, I think, Dr. Laura, you, when you and I talked uh, preliminarily, we, I think we both agree that and working with many very highly uh, educated technical people, um, that their understanding of what it takes for success in the workplace is can be skewed, be skewed toward perfectionism and being the best and hit a point in their career. And it's like, well, well I don't understand why I'm not moving forward. So it was with that in mind. And then I think all the push about the, the, the group that I was really interested in, still interested in, are, I call them the young and restless. I'd like to think I was still in that group that now they're Gen Zers, but I, I was in college and started my career in the late 60s. I was a boomer. I was on campus, University of Wisconsin in Madison. And if it was happening, it was happening at uh, UC Berkeley at Madison and Columbia. And it, it was a wild and crazy time. And so I, I have a, an affinity for people getting started in their careers and doing something important and critical. Wow. So really passionate about getting people off on the right foot rather than to wait until later in life to realize that you, you're seeking meaning and fulfillment in, in your work. Well, you know, you, I, you, I would love to have heard your a previous podcast with your business partner talking about uh, how people get stuck. And I've addressed some of that. Um, and, and I, I, this, I found out in the book has an appeal with that particular group. But I think you get, I, it's the honeymoon that I really want to impress upon people about, to your point, getting started on the right foot. Okay, so what I'm hearing is the book is for the younger generations, but is it also for any generation or? That's the feedback I've gotten so far. I mean, uh, I've had people tell me, well, why aren't you talking about the the old, the oldest generation still in the workforce that are continuing to look for meaning and purpose. Why wouldn't it apply to them? And saying that it does. That big group in the middle, that huge group, I, I, I'm not sure what, how you peg it, whether it's, I thought at first it was 15 years. I think it's more the 20 year mark. People in their, uh, probably in their early uh, late 30s, early 40s, uh, with lots of experience and starting to look at what what am I doing and am I going to do this forever? So I didn't start out thinking that would be the group. Uh, but I can tell you, I would say that has been the ones that I think are see and, and embrace this um, in a, in a different way. It's giving them something to think about that they hadn't thought about before. The young and restless, it's like, okay, listen up. Here's how it really works. So I, I'm intrigued. I, I, I am thoroughly intrigued uh, by the reaction I've gotten so far. That, that's awesome. And yeah, 30s and 40s, we get a lot of clients come in at, at those ages, right? And they're, you know, looking for more meaning, looking for more purpose, looking for maybe more flexibility. And that's a whole other topic these days, which I love to talk about. Um, but talking about a little more about this experience of, of writing this book, what was the biggest learning or surprise that you had from writing this wonderful book? Well, I think it was, to your point, it's a 
applicability to people um, across various levels of work uh, in various ages. I think, Dr. Laura, what has shocked me is that while I wanted to get clear about the steps and the activities and the nuance of it all, I think that what I hear people resonating with the most is something that they may not have fully understood, and that is um, they own their career development. That shocks me that so many people see that as like, I've been checking the boxes. <laughs> Nobody told me I don't have to do that. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't realize that you could create your own job. I didn't realize you could talk to your boss and, and, and create the opportunities, or maybe not your boss, maybe somebody else. So that that's shocked me. And I think in writing the book, um, it, that became more apparent that that was resonating with people as as I was talking this through with others. Absolutely. And I think there's just so much more control over their careers that people have than they realize. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's really about leveraging your career development within the organization you're at, but also networking. I noticed that a lot of people, when they're gainfully employed, they don't focus on networking as much until they get laid off or quit. (laughs) (laughs) And then they focus on networking. Hey, remember me? The, The the best thing to do is to keep feeding and nurturing your network. It's like a garden. You have to water that garden. What a wonderful way to put it. That's a, that's that's precisely the point. This isn't about, oh gosh, I'm going to lose my job. Now I got to go to a, uh, uh, a meeting, a society meeting of engineers and see if I can network, which is something I've never done or I'm not good at or I don't like to do. And it's no. This, this could be an everyday experience, and it really should be. Absolutely. And even students, I find it's when they graduate, then they start networking. And I always encourage them to start networking in their third or fourth year of undergrad or in their master's is a beautiful time to network. For sure. Internships, apprenticeships. I, I uh, interviewed uh, or had someone on uh, a call, a podcast uh, three weeks ago. He's a junior in college. This kid is so bright. He had an internship. And I said, so what What do you think about what we're talking about? He said, I, I just like talking to me- meeting people in the company that are uh, have got a lot of experience. And it's like, well, what, what's your career been like? And how how what advice do you have for me? And I'm and I'm saying that's brilliant. That's the stuff that you can talk about to people in college, not what's the square root of something or other. I mean, sure, that stuff's important, but people are stories. I, I, that's the way I like to say it. they're not their resumes, they're stories. So are you willing? I, with, there's a Dr. Laura story, a big one, a good one, not just what you've done and, uh, and the uh, degrees that you have and the businesses that you have. And I think that's smart. I went to a celebration of life a couple of weeks ago, and it was just such a powerful one. And and during it, one of the speakers who was um, on the gold medal Olympic team for women's hockey, um, she was doing a speech, and she is now a palliative care doctor. She's in her final internship in palliative care. And she said, at the end of life, people don't talk about jobs or careers. They talk about legacy, whatever legacy they're leaving behind. And then they mostly talk about relationships. 
family and friends. That's mostly what they talk about um, in their last days. What a wonderful experience and need for her. Um, I believe it's in the Clayton Christensen book. I know you asked me what books were powerful and uh, while he's written several, um, how do you measure success in life? I think it was in his book that he said, when you reach those pearly gates, God's not sitting there with an accountant. <laughs> and that's like, yeah, that that's right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not what you think. Exactly. So let's go back to the book and burning ladders and building bridges. What do you mean by those two concepts, Alan? The, the building bridge is probably a little more uh, uh, obvious, but let me start with the burning ladders part. Uh, the, the corporate ladder, I, I say, is not your friend. Uh, and the reason I say that is that it, I consider it and, and talk about it is the road to not good enough. There's always a gap you're trying to make. And, and once you lay on all the inequity uh, that's built in, it's, it's even worse as I think about it. So what I mean by burn the ladder is there's a need to think about work in a different way. It's not how much you accomplish. And it's not about climbing the ladder. It's about finding and working in a structure that's built more on bridges, which are relationships with other people. It, it, even if you want to look at it as a, uh, if in terms of physics, it's a better dynamic. Bridges, as you said earlier, I think this was new, new to me, Dr. Laura, that ladders, the problem with ladders is that you don't have control. You don't control when you get promoted. You don't control who's your boss. You don't control the people you work with. You build bridges across organizations. And I don't mean just connections. That's just one kind. But relationships are all about understanding what's critical and important to someone else, whether you agree with it or not. But when that becomes the mainstay, building bridges, you will find interesting and interested people that will resonate with you and help you define for yourself what you really care about. And so you, you control that. And I'm not saying they're inside the organization. I'm saying wherever they are, that's something that you can control. So burn the ladder and build a bridge, build those connections and, and relationships. I, I love those concepts. I think it's so important. And the not good enough, the ladder, you'll never be good enough because you get on a rung and then, oh, there's another one. And now, okay, now I'm the CEO, but I'm only the CEO of a $40 million company. And my buddy is a CEO of $100 million. And then you get to the 100 and then you're not good enough because there's always somebody richer, right? Or more successful, quote, unquote. Well, th listen, you're the, I, I like to think I'm a psychologist. I'm not. You are. You, you, I can only imagine the discussions you've had with clients that do those kinds of comparisons and judge their worth based on what other people think or how much money they're making or where they are in the organization or the fact that they got passed over for promotion. And it's like, I don't know. When, at what point do you say, no, I, 
I want to do what's critical and important to me. And you know what? I'm good enough. I'm not saying I can't learn stuff. Actually, I think ladder burners are huge learners. They love that. They love meeting people. They love finding out. What did you do? How did you do this, Dr. Laura? How did you develop this network of associates across Canada? I, I just think that's fascinating. And I'm sure there is a fascinating story. Uh, that you can tell about that. There is, and I think it's curiosity. What I'm realizing is the people that I enjoy hanging out with most inside and outside of work are people who are curious. And curious people ask questions and they tend to listen as much as they talk. And I noticed that being a good listener, you get pulled into some people that talk the whole time <laughs> about themselves. But how the heck are you learning if you're talking about yourself the whole time, Alan? Exactly. I mean, people, people ask me, what's the best part of my job? I know it's going to sound like a cliche. And I say, it's my clients. I am fascinated by what, by what people do for a living. You know, I'm sitting in front of my computer right now talking to you or banging something out for an article. In the meantime, somebody's down in at SeaWorld in Tampa, Florida, working with uh, uh, wildlife. It's like, that's what they do. That's, and they and they and they like it. There's a whole whole profession around that. And it's so I've met some great people, and and I'm with you. I think, and that's one thing that I think is problematic: that ladder uh, climbing uh, and and the state of education and what it what it does to turn and what it reinforces for the way people think. I think curiosity has been engineered out, and I think that's a travesty. Beautifully put. That is a quote we're going to pull out and put your name <laughs> beside. <laughs> that is just great. And what you said too about people, you know, feeling they're not good enough, especially when they get laid off. I. I noticed just how deeply impactful that is when their identity's been tied into this employer and be good enough and then they get laid off and it's usually 99% of the time a major gift in their life. But at the time, at the time, it's devastating uh, for them. It's, you know, because they put so much of their identity into it. Yeah, it's, per it's very, very personal. Regardless of saying, well, you can't have two CFOs, you know, and it, well, yeah, but you chose somebody else. So there you go. I wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you also talk in your book about the state of stuck. Why do people get stuck in unfulfilling careers, Dr. Allen? People get stuck for a number of reasons. I think it's a wake up call. I mean, some getting stuck when you say, well, what are the forces at work? There's the job, there's what's critical and important to you, and there's the place that you're working at. And that includes all the people and the responsibilities you have. And you start to say, well, that's, I, you know, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? It, it is, how do I make the changes? And I learned in doing the research and I, I'm, curious and, and probably certain that uh, I, I think of Her Hermania Barra and the work that she's done and, she, and the work, how she describes it. And she said, 
and I've used, I can't say this original thought, her, her, her feeling, her philosophy, you can't think your way out of stuff. This is not taking a double column. <laughs> Let me talk about the pluses and the minuses, what I like. like no, she, she says, and I agree, you need to be taking baby steps. You've got to act. People get stuck in their careers, partly because of fear, but partly because, to your point around the curiosity, they haven't ventured out. And I'm saying you should always be venturing out. I'm not saying looking for another job, but the fact that you're in another department and you, you're, you're in uh, uh, supply chain and I'm in engineering. I mean, I don't know. What do I know about supply chain? I may know and enjoy a lot more than what I'm doing now. So I think people get stuck, not just because of the fear. I think that's part of it, but it's, it's their willingness to experiment and their curiosity about people and what else is out there. And I, I just think that's, that's a cool way to think about it. Getting stuck is not a curse. It's a wake up call. Uh, yeah, great reframe. And we always say, and we have a ton to say about this too, but it's con being confused, uncertain, unsure. And I think you said it well, it's, you know, thinking, you get into thinking patterns and you try to think your way out of it. You get yourself into this vicious cycle and then uh, along can come depression, anxiety, etc. If it's a toxic workplace or a difficult boss, and there you go, then you end up coming to us. And then we have to get them sitting up again so that they can focus on meaning and fulfillment. But they're dealing with almost, you know, the, the grief and the, the pain around being in a toxic environment, for example, that's just an example or the wrong fit. Right, right. And, and, and it's like, it, uh, you, how many of these discussions have you had in your life where people are talking about how their boss yelled at them and and uh, embarrassed them, humiliated them publicly? I heard a story last week. I hate these stories. And I tell people, it's like, well, hold on to this now. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about your, your boss in those situations. So... It, it, the, the classic difference, you know, I can fail, but doesn't mean I'm a failure. I lost my job, but it doesn't mean you're, you're a, a loser. And I think people have to understand this is just all part of what looking for and seeking success can look like. Absolutely. So do you have any nuggets of advice for people who are trying to build meaning uh, in their careers? I mean, how do you describe it in the psych, the psychology world? We talk about intrinsic motivation. It's like what's on the inside. It's the, it's the, it's the chocolate. It's not, it's not, it's not the covering. It's not the money or the power or the prestige. That's what organizations are using to, to keep you they think motivated, but that doesn't work over time. I'm not saying that lightly because there's so much research that supports it. I think that intrinsic motivation comes because you are surrounding yourself. And I don't mean that literally, but I mean it metaphorically with people that are interesting and interested to you. I think it's the people that help you bring meaning. If you and I were to speak about 
the kinds of stuff we're interested in offline, I can just, I just know we would be resonating around the same things and the, and the impact of that would be what a kick. How cool is that? We don't even know each other and we're talking about the same stuff. So, so I gotta be right because you agree with me. <laughs> Absolutely. And on that note, I mean, this has been a great episode about burning ladders and building bridges in work and life. And we're going to carry it further uh, in two weeks on the next episode uh, with Dr. Alan Patterson on how will you measure your life, the true meaning of success. So I'm really excited about that as well, Alan, and bringing you back on the show to further our discussion. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you enjoyed this content, please rate and review the podcast as that helps me get it out to more people. Visit my website at drlaura.live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. Please engage with us on social media and check out the podcast summary for links to my psychology practices, Canada Career Counseling, Calgary Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology. Stay well.